Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Many of you in our audience know the Lord's Prayer. I bet most of you do, and many of you probably pray it regularly, or at least we should. When the disciples asked Yeshua, how should we pray, Yeshua answered them with this prayer. It was his model for prayer for all of us. So surely it is worth some of our time to consider it and what it means. In particular today, we're going to look at one part of the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. There it is, that word kingdom. We started talking about kingdom in our last podcast, and we connected it to the concept of preaching the gospel. In fact, we said that the gospel message is not just that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but that it is much bigger. It is really a message about a king and a coming kingdom. And that leads us right to the words of the prayer, thy kingdom come. But what exactly is a kingdom? And how can I, as a 21st century believer, living in a nation that prides itself on not being a kingdom, it was a nation that's literally was birthed in opposition to the idea of a king and a kingdom, how can I actually understand what Yeshua was talking about when he said, thy kingdom come? More importantly, How can I prepare myself for life as a citizen of God's kingdom? That is going to take a lot of undoing of what I've been taught about how to live in a representative republic. In other words, it's going to take a major paradigm shift. But hey, that's what those of us who are pursuing the Hebrew roots of our faith get a lot of practice doing. We have to shift almost all of our paradigms, all of our ways of looking at our world and our faith. But once you get past the first hundred paradigm shifts or so, it actually gets pretty fun to do. So let's go for it. Let's talk about shifting to a kingdom paradigm and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, Author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. Ah, paradigm shifting, paradigm Gary. Once shifting. again, it's like a ride at Disney. <laughs> I, had, I had to laugh at that, you know, after you get past the first hundred or so. <laughs> but you know, if we if we added up and counted all the all the times we've had to change our thought process, that's probably true. absolutely. Yeah. God's working on me on another one right now, and I'm just like, okay, all right, <laughs> but it, but. It is now kind of fun. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, could you realize it's it can it doesn't have to be painful. That's right. It can be actually exhilarating. And, exactly. You know, yeah, because you're drawing nearer to God, His truth, uh, His desires for us. Yeah, it's it's, it's super it's exciting. Good. Actually, I think it's super exciting. Yeah. But you know, it is it is a bit of a task for those of us here sitting in America in the 21st century because. Let's face it, our country was founded by breaking away from the King of England, right? right? right. I mean, that's that was the whole beginning um, in the, the birth of our nation. And when you read our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, it actually 
after the first opening words that a lot of people know, it actually lists a bunch of grievances sure. against the king. And most of those grievances had to do with what the colonists saw as the arbitrary power of the king and his unwillingness to share his power through representation of the people. Thus, we get taxation without, without representation, representation, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, so when our founders wrote our constitution, they began with, you know, we the people. You know, well, exactly. Well, because, you know, the, the, you said the grievances, you know, throughout time, kings have historically been corrupt, less than right. less than wonderful guys, you know, more just dictators. And and so our, our our desire to to free ourselves from that is based on that his, that history and wanting to do something, something different. I mean, everything about our system of government begins with we the people. And you know, Kathy, it was, it was about 160 years ago, the famous Gettysburg Address where Abraham Lincoln described our system of government as of the people, by the people, and for the people. I mean, you know, thus, every level of government, we, we elect representatives whose job should be, <laughs> should be to uphold our wishes and desires. Um, that hasn't really worked out too well. Not so much uh, recently, so much right? Recently. But but the original plan was a good that one. Was, it's, a, it's ingenious. It really is. Exactly. For, for a moral, upright people, it's ingenious. And that there lies another That's problem. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, so while most of Americans have no other frame of reference on how to be governed other than this representative uh, system, the reality is that this form of government is extremely rare in human history. Probably non-existent to the degree the people that will, you know, the power that we actually really should hold. I don't think that there is any other example in history uh, of anything like what our founders right. set that, up, and we've what, talked about that before. Right. That's why they, you know, you, they coined the expression "the Great American Experiment." Exactly, it, did, it just didn't exist. And exactly, still really doesn't. I mean, there's others who have who've imitated our form of government. I think, but we still hold so, theoretically the theoretically. most freedom. Power. <laughs> theoretically, yeah. Yeah. you know. So historically, the American experiment, as you said, it is very unique, and most of history is one of tyranny. She said, evil kings, despots, exercising their chokehold on the common man. That's why we in America have historically been so proud of our system of government. We, the people, have been in charge, and we like it that way. <laughs> That's why it's so difficult for us to connect with the idea of a kingdom, even if that kingdom is the kingdom of God. We just don't get kingdoms, Gary. That's the no, thing. We, we just don't get it. Raise that one. No, but you know, our Bibles begin with the establishment of a kingdom at the very beginning of the story. What it's talking about in Genesis is God's kingdom on earth, and man's original assignment from God was a kingdom assignment. Mm -hmm. God's plan for man was to expand his heavenly kingdom. And by that, I really mean his heavenly government. It sometimes is a bad word, but it's really not. His heavenly way of governing from heaven to the earth through, you know, it's really the principle of colonization. It's mm -hmm. almost like he was creating a colony. Yeah, he wanted to expand his, his, his realm. His so realm and his influence. But with those he could love and those who would love him. And, 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 yeah. and obey him. And obey him, of course. Yeah. You know, Gary and I always talk about some of our favorite books that we read, and we often read the same ones. Mm -hmm. And a number of years ago, uh, we were interested, uh, introduced to um, a book called Kingdom Principles by Maya. Miles Monroe. In fact, I think he wrote a, a multiple kingdom books. Yeah, he did. Yeah, In fact, and I, I, we have one. Uh, one I'll quote from is "Rediscovering the Kingdom." Rediscovering the Kingdom yeah. too. But you know, this is what and, and what I'm going to do today is I. It really gave. It really caused a paradigm shift in me when I read that book. That mm -hmm. was really instrumental in getting me to uh, understand the the kingdom paradigm. And in on page 32, uh, Miles Monroe wrote, "Man's assignment." was to establish the influence and culture of heaven on earth by representing the nature, values, and morality of God on earth. This was the first kingdom. Mm. Yahweh the king extending his heavenly kingdom to earth through his offspring, man. 
And I love this, Gary. This is the wonderful story and message of the Bible. Not a religion, but a royal family. I, I love that. I, I really love that because it is about becoming part of a family. I think it's when we we allow we when we forget that is when we become victims of religion, religion. religiosity. Yes. You know? I, I, so I, I really do love the idea because you know actually. Christians claim to have so much freedom, yet as they become more and more religious, they lose that freedom, become more bound to these you know, dogma and doctrine. You know? That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. You're, you're going to, in kind of another way, you're going to serve someone. You're going to follow something. It's right. either going to be God or it's going to be man, right. including yourself as man. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Very true. You know, mo most church leaders don't have an understanding of kingdoms. Um, I mean, they can graduate from seminary without one course in kingdom concepts. I mean, I never saw anything when throughout my time of study and, mm. and becoming credentialed. Um, so mm. they see their job as propagating the Christian religion, not the kingdom of God. Isn't that really interesting when you think about it? I mean, we, uh, I've, I've often been critical of this idea of avoiding hell as the motivation right. of our, our, you know, our preaching. Right. I, I just think that's so wrong. I think we have so much more to offer than avoiding hell. We have the offer to become, as you said, part of the family of God, part of his kingdom. And, and all that entails, and that to me is more enticing than the avoidance of the pun of punishment. Well, and then if you think about that too, it's the um, it's the here and now, not the look into the future and what's going to happen, where you're going to be later. It's like this is the invitation to participate in God's kingdom here, right now, while you're on earth. Think about the purpose that that gives you. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Kathy. I remember when when you just you read that quote. When I first had what we call a born again experience, the first thing I did to to kind of do an outward sign or an, a visual sign for anybody who who would see me, I had this little lapel uh, pin that said "King's Kid." Oh, and I yes. and it just brought back such memories that. when you when I when I read oh, this. Yeah, King's Kid. I remember Kid. you saying that. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is funny. I and I don't know. I honestly don't know what happened with that's to it. That's not a bad pin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, the, the book that you quoted, uh, you mentioned Miles Monroe, that he, he writes the difference between religion and kingdom this way. He says, religion focuses on heaven, the kingdom focuses on earth. That's, and, and that's quite, very, very true. Religion is reaching up to God. The kingdom, of, uh, kingdom is God coming down to man. And that really is all about grace, isn't it? You know, yes. that, that definition, we've talked about this before, the root word for the the word for grace, it is described as a superior stooping down to an inferior. Yes. So I think Miles Monroe is right on. Right, and he wasn't necessarily Hebraic. He just no. understood kingdoms. No, he understood this concept, yes. yes. And then he says, religion wants to escape the earth. The kingdom impacts, influences, and changes the earth. Mm. Again, important yes. difference. Religion seeks to take earth to heaven, and then he says the kingdom seeks to bring heaven to earth. Wow. Wow. You know, and the disciples understood this, Kathy, because when you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples ask Yeshua before he ascends. They, I don't think they knew he was going to ascend at that point. They said to him, are you going to reestablish the kingdom to at Israel this at this time? Right. They understood the idea of, of a king on earth and the domain uh, that Israel once had with, with King David, King Solomon. They, they recognized that as a free people un, ruling under a, a good king. Yes, a, that a was their king. experience, unlike ours. That's right. what they had known in their history. That was the best, the highest point in their history. Yes. So now they're looking at Yeshua as Messiah and king and saying, is it time? Are you going to reestablish? Are we going to get rid of the Roman oppression and become uh, the kingdom that we once were? And look, we've come so far from that expectation since yeah, then, yeah, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we've talked a lot lately, Gary, about 
restoring or I'll say recentering God and his will rather than our will or the will of the church. You know, we talked about that idea of Copernicus. Uh, we, we looked at that book, Copernicus and the Jews, mm-hmm. in a, a, a couple podcasts ago where it was really this idea uh, in that example, of course, where the, everyone believed that the earth was at the center of the universe which was wrong. (laughs) And then that book was talking and we were talking about how the church has seen itself as the center of the universe and it's wrong. Okay. Um, Because Israel is at the center of the universe. So, you know, we're talking a lot that's paradigm shifting again. Uh-huh. That's just paradigm shifting. And there's such resistance to that, such especially resistance. when you bring up the word Israel. Exactly. <laughs> oh. So, you know, and looking at this concept of kingdom, we need to do some serious recentering um, of our thinking. You know, Christianity tends to focus on the needs of the worshiper. Mm-hmm. Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Have my sins been forgiven? Right. 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 No, you know? it's very, very true. That remember, remember, on weekend. I've done this before. Quote, quote this: uh, the idea of focusing on the destination and not the, the journey, and we miss right. the whole point. If all we're thinking about is, "Am I going to heaven? Am I saved?" We're miss. We can miss so much right here in front of us. You know, I'm not saying that uh, people. That those questions aren't important. They are of important course. questions, right? But when we focus on those, and you're right, we miss out on so much more. And I'm reminded of, you know, a number of years ago when we had that, um, remember that Purpose Driven series that mm-hmm. Rick Warren Rick wrote? Warren, yes. And I remember reading it, and um, once again, it was very, to me, seemed very focused on self, mm. you know, like finding my purpose. And Gary, many times we've said, it's not really finding my purpose. It's like, what is God's purpose here on earth? And how do I jump into that? That's the difference. That's the big difference. Because yes, I think it made an impact. And and the idea of of Christianity as we know it makes an impact on making us maybe a better person. Yes. But until we understand God's purpose for our lives, we're not being the complete human being, a representative individual that we could be. We want to represent him. Yes. And so if we're, if we're representing Christianity or representing ourselves... The best version of ourselves, our best, that's yeah, not it. That's not it. We're <laughs> right. missing the mark. It might be a better place to be, but it's not the mark. It's not the perfect place to be. Right. And that's what I think what we miss. You know, uh, my psychology background I always bring in because I find all of this very interesting. And I'm reminded of uh, many of you took Psychology 101, you know, Maslow's Hierarchy mm-hmm. of Needs. And when you looked at that, at the lowest level, there was food and water. And then you'd go up and it was protection, security, and preservation. You get to the very top, there's this idea of self-actualization. Right. Okay. And so I wanted you know, we're talking about paradigm shifting. I'm going to ask the audience the question, what did Jesus say about Maslow's hierarchy? (laughs) That is a great question. It really is. And, and the answer can be found in Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important then close. That's right. So See, there we go. Complete, complete paradigm shift. Complete opposite. You know, because, you know, I, you know, look, I studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs as well. I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it does, uh, there is validity to it, obviously. Oh, yes. We're not, we're not contradicting that. But taken to its extreme, especially in the extreme in Christianity, we get the prosperity message. Oh, yeah. We get that idea that it's all about, you know, how, how much you can earn and and have and possess in this life. Once again, very self-focused, you know, and worrying about, you know, uh, you know, when we talk about this idea of worry, we all worry. Okay. You know, I, I've, I've been dealing with that a lot with some family issues late, you know, lately and we worry and it's, you know, worrying is, is what consumes us. It's in our thoughts and in our actions. But what, what did Jesus say? He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Mm -hmm. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? This statement is about our self-worth in God's eyes. And our self-worth to God is much more important than our needs. He'll take care of the needs. That's easy for him to do, right? That's easy. You know, so the question is, can we learn to trust that God is committed to sustaining his creation, including us? Including us. Can we trust that? There's this expression, worry is like paying on a bill you don't owe. And I've, I've always I tried to that. live by that. Yeah, I've tried to live by that. You know, Jesus also said in Matthew 6, 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But here's the big one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be handed unto you. That's that major paradigm shift. It, change, that we it changes the hierarchy, doesn't it? Yes. If, you know, if you're putting the kingdom in your focus first, then all those things, it's kind of like, well, I hate, almost hate to use this, but trickle down economy. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, it, it is true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like if, if, if we can hand over the worry to God, we can trust him that he's got us, just like Peter when he stepped out, right? Mm-hmm. The boat, I've got you. And then when he started to worry, when he saw, you know, the waves and everything, you know, but if we can learn to do this, and this is a big ask. I know that. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's so easy for us to sit here and say this. Okay. But to actually turn this into how we are a regular practice. But you know, if we can do this as Yeshua asked, it frees our time and energy to work on cultivating that and maintaining that relationship with him and doing the kingdom work. You know, if we look at those words, Gary, seek the -hmm. kingdom. Mm -hmm. It's not obvious. It's not just handed to us. We have to look for it. And, you know, a lot of people don't care about it. Okay. They don't desire it. They never search for it. You know, how sad it's extremely sad when you think about if, if there were even just from that self-motivated, uh, idea, you know, it's the best life. If you're looking for the best life is to seek God first and then all these things added to you. Again, even with self-motivation, it's the right way to go. Exactly. But, our motivation, but, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Our motivation should be, you know, what God wants and what he wants for us. And, and so, but it, and then it all plays out. You know, so if we look at this idea that if we consider that we have to really work on this, Gary. I think well, we have to pursue word, it. You used the word practice earlier. Yes. I mean, anybody who's ever been involved in sports knows that, you know, because you said it was hard. Right. You know, we don't always accomplish it. Well, you know, anybody who's ever played sports, you know, initially some things can be hard or harder mm-hmm. and you practice and you practice and you practice and you get better at it. You get better at it. Eventually, you know, you give over to muscle memory and you can it can it comes automatic. It's the same thing with our faith. If you're constantly worrying, you need to practice putting that on the shelf, not worrying about it. Let God do, deal with it right. for you and practice that on a daily practice basis. It. Practice And you will it. get better at it. That, I, exactly. And, you know, I love this. In Matthew 5, 6, it said, and we know these as the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. blessed are those who hunger and search for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. Because we are, it says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So once again, it's the hunger. And Gary, we've talked about this hunger that I think God put inside of us to yeah. know more about him. Mm-hmm. Um, as we first were, were drawn in gently drawn into the Hebraic roots of our faith, it was, for me, I've described it many times as a hunger. Yeah. It, it was, I know there has to be more. I'm starving, Amen. you know, and, and so it, it, I easily can describe that in my testimony as a hunger. I, I totally agree. I, I, th- I think I've used the term, like when, when I first went to Israel, I kept using the term, I was a sponge. You know, what yes. is this? a sponge yes. absorbs it. Keep, pull it in, pull it in. You want more, 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 more. It's that hunger for understanding 
who we are, who God is and who we are and what is our role in all this. Absolutely. That should be an exciting journey. It's very exciting. It should exciting. be an exciting journey for all of us. Right. So he, say, so he said to seek, and then he said first. So, of course, that means above all else, before anything else, um, the exact uh, opposite of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Yeah. And then it says seek a kingdom, mm -hmm. okay? So not a democracy, not a representative republic, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we mentioned this word righteousness. You know, the Hebrew word is zadik. It means that which is right, to be rightly positioned. That means we have to be in alignment with the king, right? Mm -hmm. That's the that's the key. It's who, who's in authority, right. and are we in alignment with that? That's that's a good use of that term alignment, which I hear overused. You know, when it comes to <laughs> the, the so-called prophetic, um, the alignment that we should seek is God's authority, totally, absolutely, one hundred percent. So, what exactly is a kingdom, Kathy? <laughs> Our audience, what exactly is ask. a kingdom? <laughs> Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the word uh, mamlaka, mm -hmm. translated uh, in Genesis one twenty six as dominion, uh, or other words like sovereign, rule, reign, royal power. These these are these. If you go to the concordance and look the, that that word up, the kingdom, you will find mamlaka, and you will find those descriptions: sovereign, rule, reign, royal power. But of course, the dominion is mm -hmm. a big one. Then God said, let us make man in our own image and let them rule, or again, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Well, the that just brings up to me, Gary, once again, how messed up we've made it. We are to have dominion over all of that. We're not equal to all of that. Now, we can serve the earth and serve well right. all of these things, but this whole messed up idea that we have that man's just another animal. That, I think that's satanic. Yes. I, I think that is, that is a Satan's strategy to try to lower your expectation, lower your connection, or destroy the connection you have with God and what his intentions are for you and make you just equal to one of the other creatures that he created, mm. you know, which Adam actually named, you know, he had, he right. had dominion over them. The first command given to man was to establish a government on the earth, mm. a government created by God. God is not an anarchist. <laughs> he, he desires order, not chaos. And, and here's another quote from uh, one of Miles Monroe's book. I mentioned Rediscover Kingdom. He says this, Adam lost the kingdom. Jesus restored the kingdom. Adam did not lose heaven because he was never in heaven. Uh -huh. He was formed from the dust of the ground. Heaven was not Adam's home and neither is it ours ultimately. Isn't that interesting? That's right, extremely right on. right on. Yeah. Right, right on. on. Wow. You know, and one of the reasons that you, we read about in that book, Miles Monroe, is he grew up um, under, in, I don't remember which country it was, down in the Caribbean that was under the British Empire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how he that. understood yeah. that. Yes, it was He right. was a kingdom citizen, a kingdom mm -hmm. of the British Empire. That's right. I think yeah, he begins yeah. his book telling that story. Yeah, yeah so, right. so he got that. So I find that very interesting. You know, so God wants to extend his heavenly kingdom to earth through the principle of colonization, creating mm -hmm. a colony. And Adam and Eve, you know, they failed at this assignment, but God nevertheless has been carrying out the assignment himself. He's doing that through the selection of a man, right. Abraham, right. and a family or nation, Israel. Amen. I mean, the restoration process really begins with Abraham. And so you, there's that incredible, beautiful connection, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name became Israel. Israel. You cannot, uh, again, you, if you're reading the scripture, honestly, you cannot take, you cannot separate God from his people and from his nation. But unfortunately, we're not reading it honestly. In most cases, a lot of Christianity with this idea of, of replacement theology. But res the restoration goes back to the garden. And that's what Abraham's frame of reference was. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so God's will is that the form of government established on earth to be a kingdom with Yeshua 
eventually adds the king, Amen. right? That's the king. Amen. And just as God is the king over the heavenly realm, Yeshua is the king over the earthly realm. Amen. And you know, so we go back to, to Miles Monroe's book, the Bible. He says the Bible is the most misunderstood book on the planet. Isn't that amazing? It's the best-selling book on the planet. It's the mo probably the most read, or at least I hope it would be, and yet the most misunderstood. Here's, here's a quote from this book. The Bible is about a king, a kingdom, and a royal family of children. The Bible is not about religion and was never intended to be a religious book. Rather, it's the story and message, rather, its story and message are about the desire of a king to expand his kingdom to new territories through his royal family. The Bible, therefore, is about government and governing. Wow. wow. <laughs> Again, paradigm shift. It, it does because, you know, we, all the time we hear like, oh, we can't re mix religion and politics, but politics is how we want to be governed. Mm. And this is the exact opposite of that idea is that God has a way that he wants us. He wants us to govern, that he wants us to be governed. So God was like the, the first to mix you right. know, the well, politics. Well, because he's, he's sovereign and he's perfect. I mean, he's, he's just. So we don't have to worry about a, a corrupt king, a corrupt dictator. Of, of, you know, that was the intention of yes. separating the government from that, that kingdom was because of the corruption. And, and, and our founders were brilliant they when he were, realized that as the, long as Yeshua is not exactly, on earth. That's the difference. Yes, then we need to have a different form yeah, until he's then. He's the righteous king. Exactly. Until then, we are to represent that king. You know, I, I keep thinking back, and this hit me just so hard during one of our Torah study weeks about the signet ring i was thinking about um mordecai and you know how the the rule of law had gone out the king had spoken so it couldn't be over over that's right the only way was for that that uh the king's authority to go and say now you could defend yourself in right. the case of mordecai and esther the right. the jews could defend themselves so Mordecai had to have the authority of the king. He had the signet ring and he had the authority of the king. That, that just, to me, there's so much more to this when I keep thinking about it. We are to be wielding the signet ring. You know, we're to be, yes. we're to be using the authority of God Coming in the and authority. representing him on the earth. That's yes. what it's all about. Yes, yes. You know, if we look a little more at this definition of kingdom, because that's the purpose of this podcast is to really make us think about this idea of kingdom. Um, in the in in Monroe's book, it said the governing a kingdom is the governing influence of a king over his territory. Okay, he has territory, impacting it with his will, his purpose, his intent. Okay, that's all important. We're gonna look at that, <laughs> yeah. producing culture, values, morals, and a lifestyle right. that reflect the king's desires and his nature for his citizen. So first, we look at personal will, purpose, and intent. It doesn't matter what our purpose is, right. our intent, our will. It's what does the king want? Thy, Thy will, will be, be done. done. Yeah, amen. I, you know, you brought up the, um, the uh, Lord's Prayer in the intro. And I just, I just want to share here for a moment, if we could just pause mm -hmm. and, and dwell on that, thy will be done for a moment, mm -hmm. because it's from the Lord's Prayer. And it is something that Yeshua said in the garden, obviously, at the ultimate oh, you know, yes. sacrifice. Yes. But when you look at the, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, there was a, a beautiful book that was put out years, a few years, quite a few years ago um, by Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson. They went in search of the Hebrew version of the Lord's Prayer. And the talk about paradigm shift, this is, this is quite beautiful. Now, of course, Avenu Shabbat Shemai, my Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven is the, how it starts. And then we would say, our Father in Heaven, hallowed or hallowed be thy name, which is basically what? A statement of fact, you know, right? Your name is... But in the Hebrew, it is, may your name be sanctified, which is a call to action. That's different. That, that is, is a different. huge paradigm shift in this prayer. That's a call to action. And rather than thy kingdom come, it's may your kingdom be blessed. 
So I want to pause. I'll just use those few lines and we won't go through this entire prayer. But think about that for a moment. So instead of this statement of, fa of fact, we have a call to action. And then instead of a future kingdom, we have a present kingdom. We are talking about blessing him today, present day kingdom. Okay, I'm going to take it one step further because this is so near and dear to my heart. And I know yours. There's one place in all of Scripture, you and I have talked about this before, there's many, there's many times where God says, the Gentiles will sanctify my name. At some point, they will sanctify my name. But there's only one place that I can find where God says he will sanctify his own name. It's in Ezekiel 36, verse 23. And he says, it's talking about when he brings his people back to Israel. Now, we were talking about this kingdom being set up on earth. A kingdom has to have subjects. It has to have people. Yes, citizens of the kingdom. And so if you want to bless God, and sanctify his name, there is no more, there, there's nothing more clear in all of scripture for God's will on the earth to sanctify his name than helping his people get back to the land of Israel. And and, and I can say that, with, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm- Because it's true. I'm involved, but I can say it because it's true. Right. It's scriptural. It's yes. a fact that in our generation, we're living in the generation where his people are coming back. They're getting ready to to re, to reestablish this kingdom on earth because Yeshua is going to come back. And so we can be involved in that. And we can fulfill that prayer, that Lord's prayer, by sanctifying his name and blessing his kingdom today. So I'm, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't if we? If you could you know, partner me, with God, I, I would you? <laughs> I get so excited about that because we get to do it. It's happening right now. Right and now, we right get before to, us. And yes, the invitation for us is sanctify his name. This is how he's sanctifying his name right Amen. now in the earth right now. Amen. That's amazing. Whoa. <laughs> you know, so if we could look at this definition of kingdom, it included the idea of producing a culture. Okay. Now. That's kind of interesting. Um, the idea that, you know, most of us who are Christians, uh, we see Christianity as very universal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In the every man's faith, people from every culture, right? And we see Jesus as kind of the quintessential every man's man, that's, right? That's Everybody kind of remakes him in, in their, in own, their image. own image, you Good. know, of their own culture. Yeah. But what's happened is Christianity has stripped Yeshua of his own culture and his own family. Very That's true. a big problem. We can't do that to our king, right? It's the king's culture. It's the that king's matters. culture. It's his call. It's his he's sovereign and yet we keep trying to make him in our image. That's Absolutely. Right. Every every culture has done it. And we're no different in America because we want this buddy that uh, can just give us all our needs and our desires. Right. And, and we start desires, with that even in using different names. Now, I'm not saying I came to, you know, uh, I, I was saved, you know, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, to, by the name of Jesus. But then when I started to learn his culture, I was like, oh, his name, you know, what is his real name? And his name actually in Hebrew means Yah is salvation, Yah right. saves. And I was like, well, Jesus doesn't mean anything. No. I mean, literally doesn't mean anything, no, that's why really. We, we lose in translation when, when the angel told to Miriam, Miriam to say, you know, to you will call him Jesus because he will save his people. You're like, it loses all its meaning. That's right. But Yahshua means Yahovah saves. Therefore, it makes perfect sense because he will save his people. Because we lost that culture. You know, yeah. some Christians are bothered that, you know, we focus so much on Israel and Jewish stuff. You know, remember the ministry leader, leader who described those in the Hebrew roots movement as having a Jewish fetish. Remember yeah. we talked oh, about that? So yes. Yeah. But listen, folks, if God had chosen the Jamaican culture as the one through whom <laughs> Jesus would come, then we would need to have a Jamaican fetish. You of know? course. Oh, I just mine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, but but he didn't do that. That wasn't my choice or Jamaican choices. It wasn't even the Jewish choice. God mm. chose them. Remember, Tevia said, could you please choose That's someone right. else, right? <laughs> That's right? But but he chose a Hebrew Jewish culture for his kingdom. Amen. And a lot of people get offended by that idea that it's not more universal it's just not you got to get over that we need yeah christianity needs to get over it i mean we we see i see i i've been 
at least they've been pointed out to me, uh, all types of YouTube videos and all kinds of people are complaining and, and railing about this Hebraic Roots movement because they feel threatened that somehow that they're not willing to change their paradigm. But this is our king, guys. This, That's right. This is who he is. That's right. You know, but think, go back. Okay. Once again, we're, we're working with kingdom. Think of the British Empire. It extended, okay, far and wide, but in every corner of the realm of the empire, the English language was spoken and British customs were practiced. Mm -hmm. So you would see them all over in India or any places that they would be in South Africa and all that. It looked very British. Sure. Okay. And so, so when we think about kingdom, okay, in terms of British empire, okay, I get that. Okay. Let's translate that understanding to God's kingdom, no matter what how much you rail against it, as you said, God chose Abraham and then subsequently this Hebrew culture, many of us now say the Jewish culture, mm. so be it, um, through which to reveal himself. Right. That's just what happened. Amen. You know? So if we look back now again at this definition of kingdom, okay, the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose, and intent, producing a cultural values, morals, and lifestyles that reflect the king's desires. Values, morals, lifestyles. You know, different societies have different values, That's right? right? Mm -hmm. Some cultures value the elderly and look to them for wisdom. Some cultures value individualism, like our culture does, sure. right? Versus communalism, which right. is actually very Hebraic, okay? The yeah. idea of the community working together. Correct. You know, we often talk, Gary, about the differences between Greek and Hebrew culture, mm. right? And that our religion of Christianity is very, very Greek, yes. right? And in the Greek culture, they value what someone thinks. You, you think, everyone has to think properly, okay? And, yeah. um, but in Hebrew culture, what someone does is valued. Very different. Very different. Because, and, and, and think about what is what is the... What would you prefer the value? Because you can say anything, but what you do proves what you really feel, what you really believe. You know, I, I think about that the, the uh, question that Yeshua asked about the young man who said, uh, his father said, would you go do this? And he said, uh, yes, and then he doesn't then do it. Then he doesn't it. do and it. And then the other one says no, and then he goes and does it. What's more important? Who did the will who, of the father? Exactly. The one who did it. You know, yeah. Christianity as a religion and practice today definitely has a culture associated with it. And that culture, folks, is is very Greek. It, it's not Hebrew. It's, not Hebrew. it's There's nothing wrong with a Greek culture, Gary. There's nothing wrong with it. It is just not the culture through which God chose to reveal himself. That's You're right. Say. But you would never know that to hear certain individuals speak. Or let's, let's look at this quote from 2006, Pope Benedict. He denounced what he called the dehellenization of Christianity that was taking place. He openly praised pagan Greek philosophers and even equated the ideas of Socrates to the revelation that God gave to Moses in the burning bush. So what he was actually responding to in 2006 was this effort, this this Hebrew roots movement, uh -huh. okay? This effort to um, uh, bring people, draw people back to the, the he Hebraic roots of the Christianity, right? And he interpreted that as dehellenization, right? De-Greeking, okay? Yeah, That's yeah. what so, that means, so folks. So fully admitting it that they were, they were Hellenized. Exactly. Yeah. And, and when you think, when you look at the scripture itself, um, you, you know, look at the book of Acts, or you look at, look at history, you look at what was going on during the time of the, the Maccabees, Hellenization was not a good thing for the faith. You know, it, no. I mean, it may, you know, the culture may have brought us uh, much enlightenment, fine. Yes. But the ideas that were contrary to the word of God uh, were incorporated in, in, in the faith. And exactly. that's what we were fighting. Exactly. Against. And if God had chosen a Greek culture through which to reveal himself, so be it. So be it. But he did not. But he did not. Right. 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 There's a there's, here's another defense. A professor at Cornell uh, commented, even if the dehellenizers could succeed in their efforts to remove it, the Greek influence that is, Christianity itself would be unrecognizable without it. 
what is that saying, Kathy, about the what what Christianity has become? You know, over over the course of maybe the seventeen hundred years that we usually you know look at this time frame, Christianity has become something other than what it was intended to be. The right. way, the movement, this movement of the you know the the rabbi from Nazareth. Who, who, who kicked off this movement within his own people and they followed him and they all died for their faith and, and belief that he was the Messiah. Uh, that, that movement became this religion, this Christianity. It, it makes later. you wonder if Yeshua returns and steps into one of our Sunday churches, would he even no. recognize no. anything in there? You know, yeah. I, 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 I think it would feel very foreign to him. I, I do believe that. I, you know, we, I, a friend of mine and I joke about the idea of him, you know, leaning over the balcony of heaven, you know, sitting at the right hand of the Father and looking back at the Father and saying, what is that? Yeah, what is that? What, is what that? are they doing? <laughs> 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 you know, that that's the thing. The, yeah. the culture of God's kingdom isn't Greek, folks. That's right. all there is to it. So we look at this other part about, you know, producing culture, values, morals, lifestyles that reflect the king's desires, morals. Morals, of course, allow people to know what is considered to be right, mm -hmm. desirable or acceptable behavior. So in some cultures, okay, eye contact or certain forms of eye contact are offensive, right? right? So if you don't know that and you go to that culture and you engage in eye contact, that could really offend somebody. Mm -hmm. But in other cultures, it's perfectly fine. In God's kingdom, for instance, taking care of orphans and widows is the moral thing to do, Amen. all right? So once again, it's what the king says. And let's look at lifestyle for a second, Gary. How we live, that includes what we do with our time. It includes our foods, what we eat and don't eat. It's our holidays and customs, our dress codes. This is a biggie. It is a biggie. And where we get a lot of resistance. I, um, most resistance to the Hebrew roots movement, mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. say, comes with the uh, comes against the um, biblical dietary guidelines exactly. right yeah people don't want to give up their blts they don't want to give up their their ham on easter um they that is it go they have a culture mm -hmm. and they're not willing to uh shift that to the king's culture right right it's it's yeah, it's like you said. We we see so much resistance to that, and the and the, the scripture is clear. Um, but again, there are so many misquoted passages when it comes to especially the dietary laws, and we I think we've talked about that before. We yes, and we'll probably that. talk about yeah. it again. You know, it's easy to see why Americans in particular would have a hard time understanding and accepting the idea of kingdom. It really just goes against our grain. You know, it's easy for us. To see where forms of government such as dictatorships are way off of God's plan for earth because of the intense human suffering and death associated with them. It's harder for us to see how democracies mm. um, can be also a miserable failure. They can't, <laughs> when, when the will of the people becomes immoral. You know, our founders, again, understood that. It was this intent, this type of government was only for a moral people. That's right. And where do we, we define the, those morals that we get them from the scripture? Right, only in the Torah. Right. You know, uh, Miles Monroe wrote, if the power of democracy is in the people, okay, then we, the people, become the sovereign, that means the kings of mm -hmm. our lives and our corporate destiny, and thus become our own providential ruler and our own God. Mm. This is the reemergence and manifestation of an age-old philosophy of humanism. Yeah. Humanism is when man becomes his own measure for morality, judgment, and justice. I think that's where we are today. In the I United think States, it is. Sure. You know, he goes on to say, democracy without God is man's worship and elevation of himself and his own intelligence. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what you said our founders recognized. They recognized it, yeah. So today I think that's what we're seeing is that we, if we've lost our way, uh, we've, we've rejected the Torah, and so now everyone's right in their own eyes. And so this, this measure of morality, um, it's, it's that sliding scale. What was accepted uh, you know, 50 years ago, 
uh, or, or wasn't accepted 50 years ago, slowly creeping, you know, 10 years, 15 years down the road, it becomes accepted, you know, and today, oh my gosh, I mean, if you land, if you were in a, if you were in a coma from the 50s or 60s <laughs> and woke up today, you, you wouldn't recognize. The no, country. you would not. You know, that's that sliding scale. What's happened is, in America is the rule of the people, okay, of the people, mm-hmm. by the people, for the people, has become the rule of the state. Yeah. That's, somebody's going to rule, right? But this, uh, when we don't have these, this set standard, uh, we don't hold to a set standard, even the standard of our Constitution that our founders recognized as, as and it was good. I mm-hmm. mean, that was biblically based and very good, but we don't hold to it anymore. No. We don't hold to it, no. you know. So now we're going to be ruled by the state, the few, the elite who make up the, their minds of how everybody should be ruled. Well, exactly. When you, when you give up that absolute authority, when you, you know, there, there's no standard it's it's the the torah is the universal code of conduct you know it's god's absolute standard for our lives it's his desire for his children and if we are to be his children if we're going to be king's kids then we live by the torah (laughs) there's that little button (laughs) yes so the problem is that without god there's no absolutes right so you can go anywhere you can just be flipping around in the wind and that's what our nation seems to be doing right now. of course of course because we don't know what the character of the king looks like so let's let's take a look at what it should look like (laughs) a king is not voted into power and cannot be voted out of power (laughs) His kingship is not conferred by men. A king rules because he is born into it. Yeshua was born a king. There's no doubt about it. We do not make him king. We All we can do is acknowledge him as the king. Oh, wow. I mean, that's it. Right. right there. Once again, going against everything I think mm-hmm. uh, in our nation, against our our very nature as Americans. We, we resist that concept yeah, a lot. Yeah, sadly we do. Yeah. Yeah. Also, a king's authority is absolute. He does not share it with anyone. So it doesn't matter what Kathy thinks or Gary thinks right. about something. Our, our personal values and morals don't matter at all. Right. He's not going to put out an amendment we got to vote on. That's I mean, right. It's, it's like, <laughs> and try to govern that way. All right, let's look out. A king's word is law. There it is. I mean, mm-hmm. that's it. Final end of discussion. No one can countermand his orders, negate his pronouncements, set aside his decrees, or amend his statutes. Not even the mm-hmm. king himself. I mentioned Esther earlier, and then we see that same situation in Daniel. Once the king's decree goes out there, it's out there. And so you have to find, you'd have to actually bring another law in order to, to countermand the, the, the one previous. And the kings recognized that before, right. like did the king uh, recognized that in the time of Esther, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they, they recognized that and they, they accepted that. But once again, uh, we're just so far from we that, so right? Far from that. You know, the king's decree, this is related to what Gary was saying, is unchanging. But does this kind of remind us of Yeshua's statement when he says, I've not come to abolish the law or the, you know, I have not come to abolish the king's law. Right. Right. Because you have the king of the universe and you have the king of Israel here. The king, the king and creator of the universe is uh, is Yeshua's father. Right. Right. And he's not going to override the king's decree. Nothing he did in his life. In fact, for this whole argument can be just quickly summed up if you just go look at the words of Yeshua himself. Pull out all the red letters if you must. Right. And never does he contradict the Father. And always does he say, only the will of the Father do I do. You know, only one is good, the Father. I came to do the will of the Father. It's, it's his own words. You know, I was just listening to um, Bill Cloud, and he was talking about uh, being a apostle, a sent out one, mm-hmm. right? Well, you get sent out from the king. Your message is that of the king. That you don't right. get sent out and then all of a sudden switch up the message, you <laughs> no. know, on your way out. You're right. Which is exactly what the church said Paul did. No, right? we do. It, 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 I think we get that accusation more for, for Paul than we do Yeshua, yes. Jesus. But it's the same concept. I mean, if, 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 if Yeshua didn't change a thing, why would Paul? Exactly. Exactly. He, he wouldn't. And if... 
if Paul was contradicting the heavenly king and the earthly king, then throw Paul why out. throw Paul out? Exactly. Yeah. Throw all of Paul out. That right. way there's nothing we cannot depend on any of that. Right. So But but again, I believe he's been totally misquoted and misunderstood outside of his culture and outside of what he was saying. And you know we're only getting one side of the conversation right. with his letters, and we could we could again go. Maybe we need to we go need back to go and address and go through those <laughs> we'll one by one one of these days exactly. again. Exactly. But the king, you know, king personally owns everything in his domain, including the land, and this is particularly true of God and the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. I just let's readdress that again mm-hmm. for all those Israel haters out there, for all those who say, you know, what's this Jew stuff all about? It's the king's own property. It's the king's own choice to take his people, place them in his land, and reestablish his kingdom on earth. That's right. Period. That's right. And I understand that even in Israel, there's there are the rules built in, uh, the, the laws built in that nobody actually owns the land. Right. It's, and that's from this Leviticus, right? Leviticus, Leviticus 23. 25. Yeah, 25, 23. Yeah, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. That's God speaking. Mm-hmm. And you are but aliens and tenants. So the land belongs to him. He's bequeathed it to the Hebrews, the Jewish yes. people. So they can they can live and represent him on that land. Yeah, you're going against the king if you're going Amen. against that, right? So if God's government is a kingdom, then the king's law is the law of the land. And and listeners, you know, what is that law? You all know the answer, right? You know me, you know Gary, you know the answer. <laughs> There's only one answer. It's the Torah. Amen. That is the king's law of the land. It's the only law associated with the king of the universe, the king of Israel, the, you know, as he comes back. It, it's the only law. It's Torah. That's why we're so, that's why we talk about Torah. That's why we have Torah talk, Amen. right? That's why we're here. You know? <laughs> Um, if if God's purpose is to establish a colony, an outpost on earth, then the law of this colony is the same law that exists in God's heavenly kingdom. And obedience to God's commands found in the Torah is the only way to stay in right standing with the king. With the king. And that's where we want to be. That's where we want that, to. That the whole reason for this program is to, not only because we want that, but we want that for those of you who are listening because we, we, we're told to love our neighbor and you're our neighbor. You're That's everyone right. out there who's listening. You're our neighbor and we love you and we want you to be obedient to the king, uh, you know, it, That's it, right. the best of your ability. You know, at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about paradigm shifting as we often do on this podcast. And in this case, we're trying to shift between the paradigm where we, the people determine how we want to be governed to the idea of a kingdom being ruled by the will of a king. It's not an easy shift. I know. Gary knows. We, we know, know this. Yes. Everything in our nature and our upbringing works against this kingdom idea. But it's high time we realize that when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that God's will is to establish a kingdom on earth. It is time to realize that we have no authority to change the will of the king, no authority to ignore his will or to abolish it. It's time that we realize that the kingdom God is establishing here on earth will be governed by King Yeshua from Jerusalem, according to the king's decrees, the Torah, just as the prophet Isaiah said, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so we may walk in his paths. For the Torah will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then he will judge between the nations and arbitrate for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer take up sword against nation nor train anymore for war. Sounds pretty glorious, doesn't it? Oh, boy, bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we started the podcast by saying, how can we prepare for life as a kingdom citizen? First, we must acknowledge that Yeshua is returning to earth to rule as a king from his throne in Jerusalem. Okay? 
Second, we must realize that the system of law that Yeshua will be using to govern his kingdom is found only in the Torah. Third, while we're waiting for our king to return, we should all be learning and practicing to follow his laws and decrees. Well, we know that we can't keep every Torah command because of the circumstances we're living in right now in our little kingdom outpost called Earth. Rest assured, when Yeshua returns, we will have no excuse for disobedience. Claiming ignorance of the law will not work any better in Yeshua's kingdom than it works here in our country. Claiming that keeping the Torah is too hard will also not serve as an excuse. If we remember the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 30, Now, what I'm commanding you today, it's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea that we have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. But even better, Yeshua, our king, came to earth to demonstrate how he wants us to live as kingdom citizens. Let's turn from our rebellious ways and let's learn and do what our king asks of us. This is how our prayer is answered. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Shalom, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.